Today's show is brought to you by NASDAQ. Ben, I think we might take for granted how incredibly easy and efficient uh, ETFs are in terms of trading and execution. Like these, these were revolutionary technological advances for investors to access different areas of the market at super low cost, liquidity, all that sort of stuff. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that you don't think about. And then there's the people who keep the price where it needs to be within the NAV. And yeah, there's a lot that goes on to it that is a lot easier that people just hit buy or sell and don't think about. In 2023, NASDAQ welcomed 21 new issuers. Another 20 existing ETFs were launched with $6 billion in AUM that was previously listed on other exchanges. To learn more about NASDAQ and their leading edge of market quality, execution, and form, visit nasdaq.com and hit the link in the show notes. Today's Animal Spirits is brought to you by Fabric by Gerber Life. I didn't really think about life insurance until I had kids. I think that's a lot of people, family, you have people to worry about. It makes sense. There's a lot of decisions in finance that are hard to make. Like, should I go this way or that way? There's a lot of gray, but I, I think that this is one of the smartest things you can do to protect yourself in your family, right? Life insurance? Gotta have it. It's overwhelming though. I remember when I was going through it, it's 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 difficult. So Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get high quality, surprisingly affordable life term, term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. That's pretty good. Life insurance is not expensive. No, it's not. You don't need all the bells and whistles and all the nonsense. What you need is protection for your family and it's surprisingly inexpensive. So Fabric by Gerber Life, it's all online. It's your own schedule. You go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes. So join thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash spirits. That's meetfabric.com slash spirits. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash spirits. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices are subject to underwriting and health questions. Click the link in the show notes. It's meetfabric.com slash spirits. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. Ben, congratulations. This was a heck of a two-week, three-week run for Michigan sports. Uh, I'm very happy for the Lions. Better than them all season. Better than them this weekend. I think they were a little bit fortunate to come out ahead. That felt like a very, very evenly matched matchup. Could have gone either way, but they came out ahead. They were the victors. Sometimes when you have a lot of good things go well in your life, you expect the other shoe to drop and the opposite to happen, right? Of course. Like, hey, a lot of stuff has been going well. Something bad's going to happen. But I look at this the other way. There was a lot of bad stuff that happened for me as a sports fan for many years, and now the good stuff is the other side of that. This is the other. This is the other side of mean reversion. So, yeah, it was a it was a very good week. I keep telling my oldest daughter, who really got into football the last year, year and a half or so with me, and now watches all the games. That listen, Michigan winning the national title and the Lions winning a home playoff game, then having another playoff game at home. Don't expect this to last. Like, enjoy this while it's happening because it's th this stuff doesn't come along all the time. Things cannot have lined up better for you guys. You have another home game against the Bucks, which let's be honest, 
I mean, the Bucks kicked the shit out of the Eagles, but they're not a very good team. I mean, you should you should take care of business. Are you going to the game? No, but my my sports fandom is at all time highs right now, right? Obviously, gotta be. I'm it's I'm uh, bonds are trading ten percent. Stocks are at all time highs for me. This is this that's that's what we're looking at here. I will say one thing, not not to uh, nitpick here, but the 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 second down at the end of the game where he passed to St. Brown, that was an insane play call. Absolutely insane. If if that if that was an incomplete pass, it would have been. I mean, that was that was crazy. I'll take. I said Dan Campbell is the three he times levered. Dan he Campbell is. Keeps. He's the three times levered Nasdaq 100 ETF. You're gonna get the white guy's a maniac. Congratulations, that was awesome. I told my kids like I'm setting expectations, saying this cannot be the baseline for expectations. This this has to. This is the high. This is when things are going well, but it's not always gonna be like this. You know, we, we yeah. could. This is gonna be bad years too. That's what they call transition in this business. I wrote a piece this weekend about the historical returns for, returns for stocks, bonds, and cash. I've used this before. Demodorin at NYU posts these every year. It's an annual return list. This year, he actually added, so he does stocks, bonds, and cash, which is S&P 500, 10-year treasuries, and three-month T-bills. And pe- people on the internet are like, well, how can you say cash has a return? It's like, well, of course, if you bury the under your mattress, that's that's not that's not exactly cash. Cash in investment terms is, is T-bills, right? which actually does have a return over inflation in the long term. Anyway, so I did this chart, and I show stocks, bonds, and cash, and it shows the range of res- results and then the average, right? Stocks are the highest average, then bonds, then cash. And these are, you know, stocks are close to 10% over the last 100 years, call it. Bonds are 4.5%, and cash is a little over 3%. And people liked this chart, but it somehow slipped into crypto Twitter. And I talked last week about how I don't include crypto on my asset allocation, asset allocation quilt, right? And someone posted this chart here and he said, what's that, Kager for ants? And he showed Bitcoin versus traditional assets in Kager, which is compounding return, and shows Bitcoin, gold, and S&P 500. And the S&P over the last 14 years is of 11% per year, pretty good, and he shows Bitcoin at 260% per year. And a lot of people were saying this to me with crypto, like, look at the last, even the last 10 years, it's 50% per year and 80% per year over eight years or whatever. And I was hoping some of these people were being facetious, but I think a lot of them were being serious. And if this is really your return expectations for this asset class, it, this is delusion, right? You, you can't expect every 10 years to reset and start crypto from the beginning again. Like you, 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 that only happens once. Right? If Bitcoin sure. compounds at 50% for even, you could check my math, I'm making this up. Even another five years, it's going to be bigger than the S&P 500. Right. It, it's just I, not going to happen. If crypto were able to match the stock market over the next hundred, that would be an amazing accomplishment. I don't, I don't, that's probably not possible. And, and people look at these huge returns. And it, anyway, it's uh, I think that's the most important thing for an investor to not completely screw up their financial plan is not and not to have their expectations get too high. Because I think that's that's like the one way you get scammed. I wrote my book about financial scams. And the biggest red flag is always returns are promised that are too high, mm. right? Like this person promised me 30% annual returns. And if that's not a red flag to you, I don't, know, I don't know what else is. If you don't have the right expectations for what financial returns can be in reality, like what's realistic, from, especially from a starting value that's uh, in the trillions of dollars for assets in crypto or, or anything, that's the expectations getting out of whack is, the, is a huge problem for people, I think. I think that's, yeah. 
I agree. Ben, it's 2024. Is it? Is it still the new year? Can I still say something that we're going to do for the new year? I don't know. Larry David sale? said January 7th. We're saying happy new year. All right. Well, but, I'm going to extend it to the 16th. Okay. My, one of my resolutions is we're, we're going to, we're going to not spend a lot of time on this podcast. Talk, talking to the comment section, talking about dumb things people on the internet say, because most of our audience are smart people and we don't need to spend time on nonsense. But don't you think the comments are really good lessons for people too? Because I feel like people need reminders of this stuff. I mean, yes, sometimes. Also, you, you you just created a New Year's resolution for me. You called it for yourself, but you just gave it to me. Well, it's for us. This is our podcast. Okay. We're gonna we're you gonna said focus. I'm gonna give that's like saying my New Year's resolution is Michael's gonna lose 15 pounds. That's what you just did. <laughs> this is our podcast. Okay. My, all right. my New Year's resolution is also to like teach you geography. Because that was an all-timer last week when you literally thought we were in Kansas City, Kansas. And you know it's funny? I actually geography is something I take pride in. I don't know if you knew that about me. <laughs> I did not. So maybe you, you probably couldn't tell from last week's blunder, but that yeah, that was an L. That was a big L. I mean, I still haven't recovered. <laughs> we had a lot of people who say, I, I, I get it, Michael. I get it. You know, we have like, yeah. we have like a dozen people who like all your really shitty horror movies. It's like, you probably have a dozen people who think they're in Kansas city, Kansas when they're really in Kansas city, Missouri. Same thing. Yeah. Probably higher. All right. Uh, Torsten Slock. I, I, did you sign up for his daily emails yet? I'm, I was really late to this two or three mm-hmm. months or so I've been doing it. And I don't know. Four out of every five is a really good chart that I like. So he shows S&P 500 PE minus MSCI World PE, world excluding US, obviously, and it shows the ratio of PE. Just keeps going higher and higher. He's just saying that it's it's very expensive relative to international stocks. And I, I think it was last week we talked about on the show, we talked about the sector returns and saying, gosh, maybe it really is different this time with technology and, and that sort of thing. And I wanted to I wanted to talk about this chart using some other data from Julius Baer, which I I used to have a colleague who worked originally at Julius Baer. And if you go to their website, they spell it Baer as B-A-R, but an A with the two dots over it. Is that bar? How do you pronounce that? Well, it's Baer. But the two dots, it, I don't know. I've been going through a lot of spelling stuff with my kids recently and and trying to figure out the English language especially is it seems really ridiculous because my it, the, phonetically everything should be phonetics don't you th- don't you think can we agree to start over and say it should be spelled how it sounds I'm in the same boat Ye- yesterday Kobe said to me uh why is chef not sh why is it ch and I was like you know what I said <laughs> yes sometimes the English the English language is pretty dumb and sometimes things, because now he's like, I could spell this, I could spell that. He spends a lot of time telling me what he could spend, uh, what he could spell. And yeah, dumb language. Right. We, we, should, do, we, we do a lot restart. of reading with my six-year-olds. They're like, we should reboot it. Yeah, they're like, this word doesn't sound like it, it's spelled. Like, yeah, I know. A lot of them aren't. Anyway, uh, so here's what Julius Baer says. Interesting piece here on cash flows. From a broader perspective, we believe the S&P 500 is deeply misunderstood. The amount of equity capital circulating around U.S. public markets has been trending down since the early 2000s. So we talked about this before. There's way fewer IPOs, and there's not as many companies become public. But they say, um, overall, the S&P 500 has morphed from a cash-raising machine into a cash-returning mechanism, which is interesting. And then they show these large-cap equities 
as cash generation machines, and it shows the free cash flow margin to cut, cut off to qualify that for the top quintile of margins for free cash flow. And look at this thing. Wow. Since the 1980s, wow. just took off from, wow. I don't know, call it 5 to 7% range to now the top quintile is over 20% in terms of free cash flow margins. The stock market has never seen anything like this before with these tech companies that have the margins and software eating the world and all these things. And I really do think that doesn't, I don't, I don't, I'm not necessarily sure that that means that returns going forward are different, but the composition of the stock market, it's, it's vastly different than it was in the past. On the open of the show, I said that we take ETFs for granted. Uh, but I, I really think that last, last week I made the case that like, if ETFs came out today, there would be, there should be the same excitement over crypto as there is ETFs and just corporate America and capitalism. And the fact that you're able to invest and take ownership in Apple without doing anything, without working there, is pretty, without having any family members who work, it's pretty incredible. You can own the best companies in the world and the way that they are generating returns for shareholders and have been consistently going back decades. Uh, and yeah, bear market is a part of it, obviously, but just really, really, really remarkable. So here's another stat from Julius Baer. The, the combined amount of dividends and share buybacks as a percentage of revenues climbed from 4.7 on average during the 2000s to as high as 8% towards the end of the last decade. So th this whole idea of going from the equity markets are where new companies are started and stuff, and now it's more mature and cash is being returned. I thought that was a really interesting take on where, and it's almost like going from baby boomers as savers to now spenders and, and, you know, using their money. It's, it's like, it's just a different phase of where we are in equity markets. Hold caveats aside. I'm not talking to the, to the internet comment people. Oh, bear markets don't exist. No, I'm not going to do that. You just we're broke your resolution. You just broke your resolution. We're no, not no, talking no, no, to the comment. No, you no, said we're not talking to the commenters anymore. We're not talking to them. I'm talking to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, now I lost my train of thought. So wait, so before, oh, so your counter thing. So William Bernstein, he wrote all his like beginner intermediate books at first, and then he wrote these little pamphlet books. And I think a lot of them were just uh, Kindle based, but it was investing for adults. And he said, listen, I'm going to talk to this specific group that already knows all this other stuff. So that that's you with the commenter thing. Yeah, I'm talking to the people that know bear markets exist, that know that stocks go down. I'm talking to you, Ben. Also, we already we, know that. We, we exist on the internet. You literally cannot get away from commenters. It's impossible. Uh, so I had a train of thought, and it's gone. Because you know what? I keep coming back to my brain. Like, the fact that GH doesn't make a sound, like sigh, <laughs> what is that about? It, it makes absolutely no sense. You, you're so right. Let's let's start from scratch. So the other ones for my kids are would, could, and should. Why are they spelled like that? With the U and the L? Why? Yeah, it's just nonsense. Okay, so here's here's getting back to I, I found my train of thought. Jumping back on the train. These companies, you could make the case that they are conspiring, colluding, not colluding, but they're manipulating markets to go higher, just in the way that they are so ruthless and skilled and efficient at generating more money, newer products, more innovation. Like, why would you fight that? And they, they have more tools than ever to be more efficient now than they did in the past. And it's going to get more efficient with AI and stuff if that, if that all comes to fruition. The efficiency of gains are going to go up from here, not down. Do you think that all of the, the 
obsession over macro and interest rates. And of course, it matters a great deal, not trying to minimize it, but earnings drives the market. Earnings drives the market over the long term. Not every year. See, not talking to those people over the long term. How much money is AI going, like that is going to be a gigantic source of future revenues and profits. And productivity in the economy, hopefully, as well, right? Which which falls in the same category. Now. Long, we're long-term bullish. Are stocks already getting the benefit of the doubt of the AI? Is it overhyped? Did we discount it? I'm not talking to those people. I'm talking to you. Okay. All right. I think one of your greatest things you came up with last year was a Grand Rapids hedge. Thank you. Credit to you. So the Wall Street Journal had a Grand Rapids hedge. Okay, so here's this. Here's the headline. I put it in here. It won't be a recession. It will just feel like one. Economists. Oh, in, come on. <laughs> economists in survey pair back probability of recession, but still see anemic growth and rising unemployment in 2024. So they say one reason a growing economy may still feel like a like a recession to many is a wide wide dispersion in performance across industries. Cyclical sectors, those most sensitive to the economy's ups and downs, are likely to struggle in 2024, even if there isn't an overall economic contraction. Says who? Well, this is oh, these, economists say this economists groups say. of economists. So, so they they were basically saying, listen, last year we said yes for sure there's going to be a recession. Now we say okay, no recession, but it's going to feel like a recession to certain people, which is I don't know, basically explaining a diversified economy. Yeah, isn't that literally how it always is? Doesn't it always feel like a recession to certain people? Well, yeah, this year to the housing market activity to realtors, this was a recession to construction people. Guess what? For for the four percent of people who are unemployed, yeah, it officers, feels like a recession. Yeah, the technology industry went through a mini recession there for a while, and 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 more more cuts, more laughs. By the way, did you see that Uber is shutting down Drizzly? I thought that was interesting. They paid one point one billion dollars. Drizzly is uh, an alcohol delivering service, which I've I have used in the past. Shutting of course, it down. you've used it, and then you probably complained about how expensive it was. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> Come on, you're going to show a receipt. I've only used it as gifts. I'm not that lazy oh, okay. that I would that I can't go to the liquor store. Maybe that's on, a good on, thing on though. Is that is that, yes, people paid up for convenience during the pandemic, but come on. You can get booze anywhere you want. I'm Why saying, do you need I'm to saying, have someone deliver you, it to you? No, no, no. You deliver it as a gift for others. Okay. I bet, I bet you at least half of their customers are using it to buy other people alcohol. Which probably should not be a billion-dollar business. 1.1. Yeah. Okay, good charts from Goldman Sachs here. Recent increases in asset prices have strengthened household balance sheets, leaving the net worth as a share of disposable income at the highest level in history aside from 2022. So it dipped a little bit, but still very high. Here's another one. Uh, with, ho- with household wealth near all-time high, it's unsurprising that the savings rate is low, which does make sense. It, it shouldn't in personal finance theory, like you should always be saving a steady amount, but the fact that people's net worth is at an all-time high it's probably one of the reasons that a lot of that, that they're not saving as much anymore and a lot of that excess savings got spent because why do I need to hold on to this savings and keep saving more if, if I'm, I already have all this money? Which kind of explains the economy and not so, right? Uh, we're going to talk about this later in the show. Bank of America reported earnings and spending was up 4% year over year. Where spending was down, I think 8%. Was on gas, which obviously was a significant tailwind to consumer spending last year. There's just no doubt about it. I don't know if airline prices are coming down. I don't know why I'm using anecdata here because there's definitely real data on this. Uh, in fact, I know the BLS. Airline prices on it. are coming. It has to be. 
the vibes are all based on anecdotes, though, aren't they? True. How many yeah. how many conversations have you had with people in the last few months about what you paid for gas? People love to tell you what they paid for gas. We do this. You know what I paid for gas this weekend? It was two seventy five or whatever. People love to say that. Yeah, that's conversation filler. Which I'm not opposed to. So we, we're going to California. We're taking the boys. Shh, don't tell them. We're taking them to Disneyland and I think Universal has Mario Land. Hang Maybe on, it's be- before you get into this. So we've done this before too, where we don't tell our kids about a trip. Do you think that's more for the kids or the parents? Because I feel like that's way more for the parents than it is for the kids. Well, of course. Why? I mean, if, if we tell them, they're going to ask every single day, are we going? What, when yes. are we going? When are we going? Yes. It's like the Tommy boy with surprises. Can I open my eyes yet, Dad? Yeah, we're going out there on a Tuesday and one-way tickets. Listen to how great my wife is. So one-way tickets are $168 to California. Doesn't that sound like crazy cheap? Yeah. 168 bucks. Why am I getting one-way tickets, you ask? Because Robin, I'm staying in California because we're gonna do we're gonna do a work event out there. I'm staying in California. She's taking the boys home. Oh cross country. What a hero. What a, she's a saint. Right? Good woman. All right. I thought you were gonna tell me your Disney, how much Disney's gonna cost. You're gonna save that for later? Uh I don't I mean, I don't know how much Disney costs. I'm gonna need a cost breakdown of your all the different lands, Universal versus Disney versus whatever. You got it. All right. So this is something that you brought up too, but about like, remember the retirement crisis? So here's another Torsten Slack one. U.S. retired population in 2010, it was 37 million. It's now 53 million. And this number is just going to continue going up and following this trend line because demographics are pretty easy to, unless we solve death, it's right. Demographics are pretty easy to figure out. Scott Lincecum did this tweet about American net worth by age. He did the median and the average, and he did it by every five-year increment, right? 20 to 24, 25 to 29. Look at the higher ones. 60 to 64, average net worth is 1.7 million. The median is almost 400,000. Pretty similar for 65 to 69. 70 to 74, the average is 1.7 million. The median is 433,000. Even 75 to 79 is 1.6 million and 341,000. Call it timing luck or whatever, because housing prices went up and asset values went up and all this stuff. But people, not everyone, obviously, we have to, sorry, I don't want to talk to the commenters, but (laughs) most people are doing way better in old age than I think anyone would have thought possible 10 years ago, 15 years ago. There was a lot of books written on the upcoming retirement crisis. Charlie Ellis wrote a great one that had awesome stuff about it. And it was like, it was called The Coming Retirement Crisis. And it was a really good book. And I don't know, it's, it seems like most people that age are probably doing okay. It's really surprising. Are we no, be I okay? don't think anyone predicted this, right? Like, yeah. hey, people in retirement, most of them are going to be fine. Add Social Security to this and, I don't know, all the boomers people are, are okay. doing ben, great. I'm, I'm so glad that you wrote a post on debunking the $400 in checking account myth. So I was listening, I was listening to a podcast with... Uh, an incredibly, incredibly smart person. And he said that stat. And I was like, no, that's not true. You should read Ben's blog. And I was just thinking, and I think this is important in, especially in our time, and it's always important, but especially now, I think one of the things that I'm, that I'm good at is I can hear somebody who I respect and enjoy, and I can hear them say something either dumb or something that I disagree with and not write them off completely. Which I think is unfortunately like people do that so often. Oh, this person said that they're dead to me. It's like, come on, you can't 
People, I mean, I say shit all the time. We've that's both in, said that's dumb co- stuff before. So I, we got an email recently that I res- that I responded to. I said, yeah, listen, that was a dumb comment. I, I, the minute I heard it, I said, yeah, that was, I wish I didn't say that. Hey, sometimes people get just, just take it easy on people. Is what I think the $400 one though, I, I refuted that $400 emergency expense thing with facts and data and all this stuff to back it up. But you can refute that by anecdotes. Go to a restaurant, go to the mall, go, go, go to the airport. Yeah, that's right. Go to the mall. None of the, all, how many, wh- what percentage, what was that bullshit number? Was it 40% of, no, it couldn't be that high. How, how high was it? It was, yeah, it was like 40%, but so. Uh, it the was? Way I, the way I equate this is. Wait, hang on, hang on, Ben, I'm sorry. The stat was 40% of Americans. Are we sure? So it was 63% can come up with the cash. 37% cannot. What horseshit. Exactly. So I had, a, I had a guy in college who was always short on money and he had to borrow $100 from another guy, right? So we borrowed $100 and didn't pay him back for months. And he kept saying, I can't afford to pay you back. But every night this guy was out at the bar or he's going to a party and he's buying a case of beer or whatever. And, right. and we wanted to say, man, you can't afford it. You just don't want to. And that's the, that's the thing with a lot of these. So anyway. By the way, it sounds like, a, I understand that sounds like a weird flex that I'm, good at listening to people say things I disagree with and not writing them off forever and not killing them. But seriously, I feel like, I feel like so many people do that. Oh, I heard okay. what this guy said. What an idiot. It's like, come on. Okay. I, I, I usually do that. <laughs> I, I'm not like you. I'm, I'm not as, I write people off. This was really interesting from the- Wait, you be- do? I don't know. Some people. But it, no, if, if it's a really smart person who keeps saying dumb stuff over and over and over again. That's not different. Just That's different. That's different. Okay. That's different. Fair. This is interesting. So the BLS has this report of, in March 2023, 35% of U.S. private sector business establishments that were born in March 2013 were still in operations. In other words, one-third of businesses created in March of 2013 survived for a decade. Two-thirds did not. I think this is another reason that you have to be long-term bullish. Two-thirds of all, I think for most time periods, it's probably even higher than this. Two-thirds of all businesses of the past decade and change completely failed. And people still keep coming back and creating new business. Look at this next one. This is from Joey Politano. America's new business boom. Business applications are so much higher than they were before the pandemic. People continue, and they're probably delusional in many cases, to start a business, and the majority of them fail, yet people keep trying. Well, this is one of the reasons why our market will for this foreseeable future trade at a premium to the rest of the world. And not to brag, but we are a nation of entrepreneurs. That's what we do. We start right. shit. Some of it doesn't always work, but that's what we do. If, if you think about the stuff you have to go through to start a business and the, the risk you have to take, it's, it's immense. And people just, and I think a lot of it is like you have to have the right personality to do that. The, the, you turn off the risks in your brain or whatever it is to think like, I can do this. And, and thousands and thousands of people think this all the time. Oh, we're collectively delusional. I'm sure you see this all the time in your, in your town where you'll see a new store open. Like uh, we got a bread shop or, and, and bakeries. I'm like, and Rob and I laugh. It's just like, well, who thought this was a good idea? Right. This is so obviously not going to be here in 12 months. We're delusional. Somebody took real financial risk to, 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 to do these things. Right. And even when funny, the odds, that, even when the odds seem infinitesimally small. And that collective delusion is actually a, a positive for the economy overall. Cause yes, a certain percent of those hit and they work and they go better than expected. 
And then the people who failed think like, I can do it again. I can do that. And yeah, it's, it is kind of amazing. We got a new, uh, we got, uh, numbers, the New York state empire manufacturing index. I think that's what it is. Uh, plummeted in January. And listen, I'm not going to pretend to understand what goes into this, but like really, really low going back to like 2020 levels low. I don't know if this is the canary in the coal mine or if this is just noise or if there's, I, I don't know, but, uh, Renaissance Macro tweeted, um, the empire manufacturing current conditions imploded to negative 43.7 in January, the lowest since the initial stage of the pandemic. However, the six-month outlook improved to a three-month high. <laughs> so really, really weird. If you look at this chart, this the current reading does not look like any of the others. It's very odd. So like the current reading crashed, like, oh, things are getting worse or bad. Like but last month crashed, but the look ahead is the forward one is rising. <laughs> I think our ability to forecast has been just disintegrated by so many people trying to forecast all the time. And you're like threading a needle. Like, well, right now it's this. And in three months, it's going to be this. In six months, I just think, I don't know. Has, has the internet Then you're right. I, uh, I, I bet on the Eagles last night. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? That's a, that was a that was a Long Island hedge because you were hedging the, the fact that if the Eagles would have won, you would have been pissed. So you wanted to now. I, would, I have to admit, I was smiling ear to ear. Best money I've ever spent. But uh, yeah, forecasting is difficult. Forecasting yeah. is difficult. Did, did COVID like just drive the nail into the coffin of forecasting? Because I, I feel like forecasting has gotten worse since the pandemic for everyone. Did it? Did it? Did it just screw? Are we just in a really tough period to 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 wrap our hands around? I've said this before. I'll say it again. There is life before the pandemic. We shook up the snow globe, and then there's life after, and we're just still on the other side of. That should chaos. be a movie. You remember the Sliding Doors movie with Gwyneth Paltrow? Pretty good movie. I never saw Sliding Doors. Pretty good '90s movie. I don't know. Based on the stuff that you like versus what I like, you probably wouldn't like it. It's a romantic comedy. That that felt like an insult. <laughs> that was a backhand, front-handed, in, is it a front, front-handed <laughs> insult? I don't know. You know, well, we, you, got, we got an email, we got an email with the, with the headline was, I hope I'm not too late. And it was somebody like, Michael, whatever you do, do not watch the holdovers. It's a film. Ben likes it. You're going to hate it. Uh, and I thank you to that person. I wasn't going to watch it. I already came to my senses, but I, I take just, umbrage. Uh, that is, it is not a film. I don't like films. This is a movie. I think you should actually watch it. It's a good movie. I do love Paul Giamatti. Especially if you like sci- Okay. Uh, obviously, one of the hardest things to predict is inflation. So the new CPI for December came out last week. We've talked about this before. Consum- CPI, less shelter, is at 1.9% through December. Remember? Because the rent component is so much higher. It's like 6% still and coming down. Uh, this is an interesting one. Food at home, which is groceries, now growing at 1.3%, below the overall rate of inflation. This stuff is going to matter eventually, right? I know, yeah. I know it's cumulative. Is it, does that count yeah. as talking to the commenters if we're talking about inflation being cumulative? Or can we assume, listen, well, we have every time educated- you say Every time you say, I know, we're, we're talking to the commenters. Okay. All right. But I think, you, I think you underestimate the fact that some people need clarification occasionally. I agree. But I'm not talking to those people, Ben. I'm talking to you. And I, and I don't want to... I don't want to waste our audience's time who knows damn well what time it is. Okay. Okay. The current drawdown, here's, here's, here's more good news on the inflation reading. 
The current drawdown from Liz Sander, she tweeted this, uh, for Mannheim used vehicles. Who is this Mannheim? Is it a company? It's, it sounds like a bad, one of the bad guys in like Die Hard 6. First name Man, last name Heim? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's in a 21% decline, by far the worst on record. This is great news. It is. For everybody. Uh, well, not everybody. It's, it's not good news for me. I'm, I am stuck. I am so far underwater on my wife's car, it's not even funny. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about your Jeep because this, this is where the comments were actually good. There must have been 25 comments last week saying, you know what the problem is, is Michael's Jeep? There's literally something called the Jeep death wobble. Like, yeah. <laughs> did you get this taken care of yet? No. How is, there so, how is there a problem with a car called a death wobble and it's not like a, a crisis? Well, okay, I'll, just, I'll just drive around my death wobble, no biggie. No, it's only a problem if you're going over like 50 miles an hour. So guess oh. what? I'm avoiding highways. So you're going to avoid the highways and just put your emergency <laughs> flashers on? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just avoiding the highways. I just no, can't I believe there's something, there's literally something called a death wobble that can go wrong with a car. That sounds bad to me. Piece Call of me crazy. shit. Unbelievable. Oh. Okay, so, th but the, the Mannheim one, this this was easy to predict. The used car prices crashing. We were saying like, this this is not something that can last where used car prices were more than new car prices and they were going through the roof. That was, that was an easy one to predict. Like, okay, this is not going to last. Here's another good one though. Here's the way. What, what's a, what's a website that gives you like a good estimate of your car? Oh, does Carvana do it? Um, there's a couple of them. Track your car's value online. So let's just see how screwed I am. But wait, don't you always expect your car to be relatively underwater? Isn't that just always the case? You drive it off the lot and it's down to 30% or something. Oh, it's CarMax. 20%. It's CarMax. Um, hold on. 2019. CarMax lowballs you, by the way. Throwing it huh? out there. CarMax lowballs you. They don't want to pay very much. They oh, lowball you. Ooh, this is brutal. All right. So. A car is not an asset. It's a depreciating hunk of metal. Okay. So I could probably get 25000 for it and I owe like thirty four. So you got to hold on to it. That's it. I'm stuck. How long is the lease? I own it. Oh, oh, you bought it. Okay, well, no Tahoe for you, I guess. Traded in for minivan. All right, here's another good piece of good news on inflation. Wage growth tracker from the Atlanta Fed, 5.2% as of December 2023. So we're talking over 2% real wage growth this year. That's a really high number. That's very, I mean, obviously we're making up for lost time. But that's a very, this is tailwind kind of stuff for the economy to continue to be not really, really strong, but pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Crypto yes, ETFs. The, the, I would say the overall state of the economy, it's, it's pretty good. It's fine. It's, it's not, yeah. we're not, we're not booming, but it's, it's healthy. All right. From Yahoo Finance, spot Bitcoin ETFs, which launched last Thursday, have already attracted a significant amount of investor interest in the first two days. So in the first two days, inflows were $1.4 according to our friend Eric Belchunas at Bloomberg, who was, I think, 24-7 on the crypto ETF stuff. Belchunas was, was trading 24-7. Uh, so volumes were $3.6 However, Belchunas noted that these numbers may be adjusted due to transactions awaiting settlement. Grayscale had outflows of $819 million, So maybe it was a little lower than that. I know it's, it's two days in. Does that, that doesn't sound like that much money to me. Am I, am I missing something here? Maybe it'll be higher. That's, I don't know. It sounds like a lot to me after two you, days. You predicted $100 billion in Bitcoin ETFs in the first year. There's no way we're getting to that. No, Hang no, on. Close. Hang on. I, we don't even hit, we're not even going to hit 10. Sir, I walked that back. 
Okay, so what did you? What was your final prediction? Fifty. Fifties. Which no way. Which is still that's still very aggressive. Ten might be aggressive. No. I mean, it's probably going to settle in at five, maybe seven. Based probably on, based on what? Based on the first couple of days of flows, right? You could extrapolate out a year based on two days. Come on now. What are the odds here? <laughs> All right, that's a, no. You know what? You're right. By the end of 2024, odds? we're not going to be at 10 billion in crypto unless right, Bitcoin 50 goes. 50 billion. 50 billion by the end of 2024 is plus 350. Oh, it's like plus a thousand. There's no way it's going to hit no. 50 billion. No, it's not. All right, we're going to have to have some ETF one? people chime in here. 50 billion? It brought in $1 billion in the first two days of trading. That's nothing. Okay, times 250 trading days a year, that's $125 billion. Do the but math. The, the money was waiting in that first day. <laughs> There's more money waiting. All right, listen, I don't know. I, you, I'm guessing. $50 billion, I'll throw it plus 350. Okay. You think okay. it's plus 1,000? Oh, yeah. There's no way it's going to get to 50. If, 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 you're, if you're the bookie, I'll, I'll take... You're going to give me 10 to 1? Uh, if it gets 50 billion, yeah. What, what's, what's my payout then when it doesn't happen? One. Okay, fine. All right, so how does the, is there any impact at all from the 24-7 trading of crypto on the ETFs? Is it just the open and close are really, like a really, really wide range? Is it just more trading the open? Like what, what do we get here? Yeah, interesting. Will there be a flurry of activity at 9.30 and, and as we approach four, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just I don't because I, obviously there there are ETFs elsewhere, uh, and Europe has had Bitcoin ETFs in Canada and places. But is the twenty four seven trading nature of these things does it make it any different or or I don't know. I would guess that because it trades twenty four seven that there's not going to be an unusual amount of or, of buying and selling at nine thirty as a percentage of the overall transaction pie. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, this is from Barron's. A lot of people were, a lot of crypto people were mad at Vanguard because Vanguard said, first of all, they're not going to offer crypto ETFs. And then I think they also said, we're not even going to allow the trading of crypto ETFs on our exchange. So it says spot Bitcoin ETFs will not be available for purchase on the Vanguard platform. We also have no plans to offer Vanguard, Vanguard Bitcoin ETFs or other crypto-related products. And people were really mad at Vanguard. To which I say, I don't know, they can do what they want. Wait, hold on. Which which people are you referring to? Crypto people. The people that we're not talking. Okay, not commenters. Crypto people. Okay. No, crypt- a lot of there was a lot of people who were saying like that were complaining about Van. These are actual stories in Bloomberg and Barrons, and people were complaining about this. This is not without precedent, right? Van hasn't like. Could you trade? Um, could you trade triple levered ETFs? Right, I, I agree. At Vanguard, Va- Vanguard can do what they want, I, and honestly, this is. Th- and, and I, let's be honest, they're going to break down it someday probably. Even if they don't off their own for a while, they'll, they'll log trading. They'll, they'll probably break down. Maybe they just want to see how things go since this is a relatively new product. But I don't think they will. They know their audience. I, listen, I, Jack, I would- Jack Vogel is smiling, looking down smiling right now at this though. Yes, he's saying, well, well done. Way to, way to hold the line. Vanguard DIY investors or advisors, they're not trading this stuff. You can, you can trade everywhere you want. Go trade somewhere else with this stuff. Yeah. I don't honestly this is a big deal. It's their prerogative. I agree. Yeah. 50 billion, huh? Plus 350. All right. That should have been on your 10 predictions list so I could come back and put an X through it. Did I say anything? Did I have a big, big oh yeah, I did. Bitcoin 100,000? Yeah, we'll say. 
We'll see. Um, all right. Global funding by fintech startups sank. This is in the information. Sank over 50% in 2023. Remember how white hot fintech startup ecosystem was? And this maybe collective delusion that they were going to disrupt banks. I pulled this from Bank of America's uh, Q4 earnings call. So Bank of America added over 600,000 net new checking accounts. They added 4.6 million credit card accounts and a record 3.8 million consumer investment accounts. The banks are not getting disrupted. No. And the, the Silicon Valley bank hiccup, was it a three-day banking crisis we had? Remember how scary that was for three days? Doesn't that kind of ordeal just make you realize that, oh yeah, one of these little upstarts is never going to be able to take on B Bank of America and JP Morgan at this type of business? No way. Another chart in here that caught my eye was checks versus Zelle. And you can imagine what this looks like. Zelle is have, going to- Do you ever have to write checks anymore? It's- I do. Um, what, what an antiquated process that is. Literally writing out the number in words. And I was a bank teller one day. This is probably one of my worst jobs I've ever had. So if you write the number, a $1,000 check, but in the words, you wrote 100, the bank has to take 100. The words, the words supersede the number. Did you know this? I didn't. Did you know? I don't think I ever told this story. I, <laughs> I tried to get a job as a working in a bank, not as a bank teller. It was this was JP Morgan in 2010. This is when I was during my unemployed days. I I couldn't get a job working in a bank, which is not a, which is not that difficult of a job to procure. What were you trying to do? I was trying to be trying to get a job in the bank. Like uh, a, a friend, a friend referred me. Maybe to be like a private banker or whatever, like one of those roles. Rejected. <laughs> that that's a tough. That was a tough labor market, though, right? It was a well. In my defense, I have two things. It was a listen. It was 2010, so I don't think anybody was hiring. But I also, I think I was like weird looking with my young balding head of hair. It just there's probably something about me that people looked at it like, nah. <laughs> You're in nah. between. All right, what's your Zell thing here? Oh, but but just look at this chart. Uh, so it's checks written, which is going all the way down. It is just secular decline. Oh, it's like the newspaper. Zell, okay. And Zell transactions, it's two, it's two to one. And this is going to be three to one and four to one and 10 to one. I, I sent to Zell this weekend. Matter of fact, do you know who owns Zell? Is it JP Morgan? It's a collection of seven of the biggest banks collectively wow. own. What's so it's kind of like Hulu. It's kind of like Hulu. It's oh, I think Hulu it's called early. Banks. I think it's called early warning or something like that. Hold on, who owns who owns Zell? Early warning services. Zell, which launched in 2017, stands out from the peak pack of viewers. It's owned and operated by Early Warning Services, which is co-owned by seven of the big banks, and it's not publicly traded. So, look at that. Talking about fintech, they own it. Did not know that. Okay, they literally own it. You're right. So, so these big fintech breakthroughs are owned by the banks. Yeah. You know, here's another thing, speaking of fintech. By the way, who owns Venmo, though? Is it PayPal? Yeah. Okay. So, Carta, which basically, for those unfamiliar, Carta created like cap table management, and it's a huge company in Silicon Valley. 
they tried to create um, a marketplace for secondary shares. And you can imagine it's a little bit odd given all of the information they have that they're also trying to, like people, people were not too thrilled by this. Uh, company quote from, from the information companies didn't want to create a market for employees to sell their private shares, whether it was out of fear of volatile prices or of tripping up on regulations that limit how many non-employee shareholders a company can amass before going public. Uh, just another example of a young fintech company. Uh, it's just difficult. These are, these are, I'd be curious to hear if the secondary stuff if the secondary stuff completely dried up in, you know, 2022 and early 2023, or if there was actually more activity because some people needed to sell because their other options were not going to come to light. I'm guessing it, it mostly stalled, right? The secondary markets for this stuff? You would think that maybe there would be more demand for these uh, shares as prices came down dramatically. Yeah, that'd be interesting but, to see. Uh, lastly, from the information, remember the creator economy? Oh, yeah. That was like a remember the retirement. We're, are we part of the, we're part of the creator economy, right? Isn't that us? Sure, absolutely. We're creators. I, I have the creator in my recommendations for this week as well. Speaking okay. of, okay. Uh, so funding for global creator economy startups fell fifty eight percent, and they showed like how much money has been invested, and the peak was just <laughs> the peak was two and a half billion dollars a quarter. Where is it now? Two billion. I'm sorry can't read this. Ben, what is this? Whatever. It's, 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 a, it's a fraction, fraction, fraction. And most of the money was spent on marketing. <laughs> That's not Because what else are you going to sp- spend for creator economy, right? All right. Let's move on to great quarter, guys. Um, Jamie Dimon. And he's not usually upbeat on these calls. I think he tends to have a more cautious tone, which is understandable that he's probably the largest risk manager in the world, or certainly one of them. Uh, he said, a hurricane like 2022, right? Yeah. He said a very strong labor market means all is equal, strong consumer credit. So that's how we see the world. That makes sense. Banks have, I feel like banks and credit card companies have been a good tell on the economy here. Obviously, that might not always be the case, but if, if you would have paid attention to a lot of the bank and credit card earnings calls, you wouldn't have thought the economy was freezing up imminently. I listened to BlackRock as well. Just a shout to the quarter app. It's so, it is so sick. Now they, there's like names and titles of who's talking when. Yeah, it looks really good. It looks freaking incredible. Just the, the, the whole look of it, yeah. It's a joy, a real joy. Um, all right, they, an analyst asked BlackRock a question about money market funds, and this was Robert Capito's answer. Uh, I wake up every morning salivating about the $7 trillion that's sitting in money market fund accounts waiting to move. And in order for it to move, we have to have a wide plate of products. And that's what we've, what we've been developing in client solutions. Uh, a lot of this is going to come from digital wealth, which is a $17 billion global market, which is growing at 15%. So he's talking about like how money market funds are going to, if they move into risk assets, probably bonds. Uh, anyway, I just thought that was a, an interesting take there. So you have, if you have all that money, that's like a target on the back of that money market funds. Like we are looking to financial services are trying to get that money out of there. Salivating. As quickly as possible and put it into something else. Yeah. That's Here's one more quote. So I think uh, history shows when the cycle stops, that's when people first start to re-risk. We saw about $40 billion come out of money market funds to us as people re-risk and then there's market volatility and it stops. So I think we have to get to what people will feel is the end of the cycle in rates. 
and then people will look. So it's, it is, it is going to be very interesting to see what happens with money market funds. That's one of the things that I would, when the if Fed, I could like, so like the, the general consumer economy is so far behind, like the, the regular news, you know, like the news on NBC or ABC or whatever, CBS, when the Fed starts cutting rates and people see inflation at two, two and a half percent or whatever it is, that stuff's going to have, and gas prices are at 275 or whatever. That stuff's going to have to be on the news, and that's going to change the way people feel about some stuff. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens when the Fed does start cutting rates, and people go, "Wait a minute, whoa!" Yeah, so, this so is my, I, I think it's going to be a, a sea change. My inclination is that inertia will keep people in money market funds, but I'm not positive. I'm just guessing. Like I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. They're going to be sold big time. Uh, all right, home insurance. All right, so. This is getting crazy. Home in, so this is from a like a Beehive newsletter. People are passing this around, and it's called Highest and Best. And it says, home insurance premiums are rising by double digits nearly everywhere, but they're still the highest in Florida at an annual average of $9,200. In Jacksonville, Florida, a real estate agent said 25% of buyers who signed contracts for sales backed out after receiving insurance estimates. 15 to 20% of homeowners in Florida are choosing to forego property insurance because it's too expensive. It's called going bare. If you were in Florida and you had the and this was the case or or this happened in New York cuz you're whatever there's a hurricane every year or something on the ocean. Would you just roll the dice? No. And not get insurance cuz that is that's you'd still get it. Listen, I don't mean to be insensitive. If you can't afford the insurance, don't buy the house. What literally happens if you're if you have massive home damage? What you move? Your family's fucked. <laughs> I don't. But at that at that high of a price, it, it's crazy, and it's gonna the prices are not gonna go. The insurance costs are not gonna go down unless the government caps them or something and says we'll wake up the difference. I know it's not easy to just like say to tell somebody to move. I don't know. It's it's a tough situation, but you can't you can't own a home without insurance. Listen, I'm, I'm a gambler, but not 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 like that. Not where it's like make or break. The, the number of people who are, who are rolling the dice, it doesn't surprise me. I guess this makes up for no, uh, no state income tax in Florida. All right. Here's a good one for you for being uh, middle age. I'm thinking about this one. So Lindy Mann tweeted this. Once you hit your 30s to 40s, you start seeing a divide among men. Half of them are in the, I'm writing this out until retirement. I'm shutting it all down. And the other half are constantly working on new projects and still moving. I'm, 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 I'm a ladder guy. I'm way too, I have way too much spilkus to, to shut it down. But don't you think that there's a middle ground too, where I feel like the, the whole hustle culture kind of annoys me where like you always have to be doing this and starting companies and, and optimizing and yeah, chill out, bro. I don't think you have to be full bore like that all the time. So I was listening to the Michael Ovitz uh, podcast with Patrick O'Shaughnessy last week. And I think you mentioned this last week too. So Michael Lobos was talking about how he does to start his business and create CAA, which is the agency. And he, he had some amazing stories on that podcast, but he talked about a lot about his work ethic. And he did, he started out That's by doing amazing. 250 to 300 calls a day and he worked seven days a week. And Patrick even asked him like, well, how did you find time for family? And he's, he kind of like, I feel like he kind of felt bad answering because he's like, well, I worked seven days a week and I had one week of the year around Christmas where I stopped worrying. Other than that, I was working all the time and that's how I built the business. And I thought about it. I, speaking of getting old and having a faulty memory, you always talk about this. I keep forgetting stuff too. I forgot I read the book on Michael Ovitz a couple of years ago. Who is Michael Ovitz? And so the great, yeah, it's a great book. So the 
the great thing about reading on a Kindle, which I do now, is that I highlight stuff that I want to go to later. So I went and I said, oh, I'm going to look at my highlights of that book because I haven't read it in a while and I forgot. And he talked about this in the book, and he said, in 1979, when I was 33, Ted Ashley at Warner Brothers took me aside and said, I'm going to give you some advice. He grinned ruefully, and knowing you, you're not going to take it, but here it is. I could have worked 10% less, and it would have made a, and it would, and I wouldn't have made a difference in my professional success, but I would have been a lot happier. And Ovitz says, uh, he was right on both counts, and I didn't take the advice. I see now that I could have worked as much as 20% less, and it wouldn't have cost me. And kind of looking back at that and said he could have been fine if he wasn't working just you know, balls to the wall. I think that's probably my biggest change. And you talked about how you, if someone says something dumb, it doesn't bother you. My big thing that I'm middle-aged and I, I think that one of my biggest changes in life is that I don't look at someone like Ovitz and his success and think, man, I want to do that. Because when I was younger, I probably would have. Like, why didn't I work that hard? Being at the point in my life I'm in now with kids, I can't imagine working seven days a week for 15 hours a day and, and have it always be on my mind. That's the one thing that I've, I think I've let go in middle age is that looking at the people who are su super successful and not thinking what they had to do to get there. But here, here's the thing about people looking back on their, on their regrets in life. You may have regrets, but if given the opportunity, I don't think he would change. If Michael Ovitz could go back 40 years ago, knowing what he knows now with his regrets, guess what? I honestly don't think it would change a thing. I think people are who they are, and it's very easy to look back with regrets, but I don't think that, that they would necessarily change people's behavior if given a time machine. I kind of agree, too. The, the reason they're successful in the first place is because they have to work that hard, regardless of whether like they, they could cut back and still be fine. I agree. Yeah. It's a personality yeah. thing. Yeah. And guess what? Michael Ovitz wouldn't be Michael Ovitz if, if, if he worked five days a week, because that is the most competitive industry in the world, there's certainly one of them. Somebody would have, there would always have been a Michael Ovitz. If it wasn't him, it would have been somebody right. else. But I don't, I don't want to give us a too big of a pat on the back here, but I feel like you and I have found, struck some middle ground where we, we are constantly reading and researching and thinking and talking about the markets and, and all this stuff, but we've also know how to shut it off when we need to. And I think that's, that's a hard thing to do if you're, if you really want to be successful in your career. Speak for yourself. It's, it's, <laughs> I no seriously I, I I don't I don't shut it off it's it's I'm not good at it I'm not gonna pretend to look back with regrets because I think thank God I spend a ton of time with my kids so I don't feel like they're getting shortchanged yes listen am I do they see me on my phone too much yes but I am who I am but that's, that's what, what I mean is. though that you but you but you're not you're not um, missing time with your kids because you're you're working all the time or something you're still finding a a, a way to do both. Correct. I am, I am very, very, and this, a lot of this is, is due to COVID for a lot of families. I would have been in the city five days a week. That's just what it was. Yeah, true. Yeah. That, that, I think that probably did save you a lot. Anyway, it, it's a really good podcast to listen to, but it, it just got me thinking about this stuff. So people just love the NFL. It is wild. I, Oh, I have to take a uh, retraction time. Last week I said, what happens if you're in Kansas City or Miami? So if you were in Kansas City or Miami, the game was aired on your local stations. So Peacock paid $110 million to the NFL for these rights, which is a lot of money. Uh, but the Wall Street Journal wrote that it drew 23 million viewers. It was also the largest event ever for internet usage in the U.S., accounting for 30% of web traffic, making Saturday <laughs> the single highest day of U.S. internet usage in history 
And now the $110 million question is, how many of the X million signups, we don't know, are going to stick around? And uh, that's the bet that Peacock is making. Obviously, we, we and, and NBC Universal owns Peacock. We we don't know. There were a lot of people on Saturday complaining about Peacock and making jokes and saying this is going to be hard for people. Obviously, pick, people figured it out. But for me, as someone who still subscribes to cable and owns has a subscription to every streaming service available, I just sat back in my chair and thought, this is easy for me. And I don't care which streaming service NFL goes to, I'm going to be ready because I have all of them. This was my time to shine. And yeah, so. Ben, how are you, how are you holding up? Uh, I know there was a ton of snow in the Midwest. We, we had a huge blizzard. We probably got, I don't know, 24 inches or something. We drove Jeez. up north like an hour. And it was really bad driving in the blizzard. And it, my thought to me was, when my daughter was born, she's going to be 10 this year. I remember having conversations with people at the time saying, I wonder if by the time she's 16, if we'll just have self-driving cars and she'll never have to drive a car. Now I don't believe that. But I was driving through the blizzard. My wife has, she got her new Palisade. And it has the thing on cruise where, you know, you, you, your cruise automatically keeps like a car distance in between you. The new thing, it's like a little, it's like wow. taking baby steps to self-driving car, right? Um, but in the blizzard, all the sensors for that cruise stuff went off so she couldn't use cruise control. So my question is, we do have the technology that improves for self-driving cars. We have them someday. How do they ha- handle a blizzard? I don't, I don't know how that, how a, a self-driving car could actually make it into blizzard when all the lines are covered up and there's going to have to be a system override for these kind of things to be manual. Cause I'm a really good blizzard driver, not to brag. I think, I think I can drive better than a blizzard than a self-driving car. I'm sure you can. That's hilarious. Uh, all right. I saw this, I saw this great tweet. Uh, the tweet was we've come full circle and the picture is <laughs> white claw, 0% alcohol. Oh, you mean seltzer? Seltzer water. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, but it's in a cool can. Really incredible. All right. Recommendations. Ben, somebody email, somebody sent us uh, a video of, this is old, this is original YouTube. This is like 2010, this video. It's got almost 4 million views. A guy did a bit where he just holds doors open for people like way longer than is normal. I said that's a pet peeve, but he does the joke. Like, it's just, you, you, so many people, they're like doing this. The half job. The half jog. It was very funny. All right. We asked the audience, was 2023 a good year for movies? And 77% of the audience said no. I saw a, I saw a very good movie this weekend. That, and I'm talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. And like, okay. I am, we, we started. I, I'm not through it yet. Okay. I really enjoyed it. I'm surprised Thoroughly. you liked it. Because you didn't Thoroughly. like Oppenheimer. So here's the problem. I told you, I, I ate an edible before I saw Oppenheimer. And that, that's on me. <laughs> Which Three is totally on you. I, I can't totally see the, on me. I can't see the reasoning ever to eat an edible before Oppenheimer. Totally. I think, I think by, hour, by hour 245, I was doing one of these. Yeah. You know, my head was, my head was going and I was waking up, jerking my head open. <laughs> jerking my head open. It's a weird thing to say. Okay. Uh, sure. So... If I saw Oppenheimer the way that I watched Killers of the Flower Moon, I probably would have had a much different feeling. And I think I do need to revisit Oppenheimer because I'm the only asshole that didn't like it. So Killers of the Flower Moon, just classic Marty. De Niro and DiCaprio were just on fire. Um, See, I, I'm only an hour into it or something. Their characters seem weird to me. I'm still kind of, I'm kind of tepid on the movie. I saw it's it's I got like four hours left. So so I broke it into I think three different sittings. 
if I saw it, if I sat for three hours and 15 minutes in the theater, I don't know that I would have enjoyed it. I don't know. I probably wouldn't have. I probably would have said, this is ridiculous. Oh, wait, you're a movie here? theater guy. I know, but three, but 315? True. 315, that's too much. Uh, Someone I needs to finished, play some limits on Marty, I think, though. Someone needs to say, like, no more than two and a half hours for a movie. Yeah, we need, it's, he, it's he needed guardrails. He needed guardrails. Uh, oh, and the actress that played uh, DiCaprio's wife, I forget her name, Lily uh, Tompkins, Lily maybe? Gladstone, I think. She was she was amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really enjoy, I'm Lily Gladstone. I'm sorry, Lily Tompkins. Lily Gladstone. And you know what? Obviously, expectations played a part of this because I had I was not expecting to like it. And I was pleasantly very surprised. See, you do like films. Godzilla finished uh, the Monarch Legacy of Monsters. A little bit of a valley, and then boom, episode six through eight was. But the ending was it. awesome. Okay. Loved it. Loved it. All right. I watched The Creator on Hulu. This is Denzel's son who in the lead, and it's an AI movie. It's like a two-hour-long movie. It's a good action movie, but it left me with a weird taste in my mouth. Like, I think you'd probably like this movie. My son, who's just an action movie junkie now, he watched it like three times. He loves action <sighs> movies. Violence, he's probably going to be a serial killer someday. But... The weird part about it is, so there's these AI robots, and they make them look like humans, obviously, and that you can't really tell the difference if they have this little circle thing in their back of their head. Uh, what kind of AI robots would you like to see in the future? Would you like, because in the movie, they had robots that looked like robots and the robots that looked like humans. What would you prefer? Because I don't think I can have robots that look like humans. It's too, and I, I know some people are going to want that for companionship, and I think it's too weird. I can't handle robots that look like humans. Are we going to live in a world where robots look like humans? Or is it going to be like iRobot? Which, by the way, I love that movie. Me too. We watched that one recently too. But here's the thing about the creator. I don't want to completely give the plot away, but let's be honest. It's an action movie. You don't. It doesn't really matter. No, no. Don't, 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 don't ruin it. I'm going to watch it. Okay. I, I'll be curious because the the good guys in the movie are not who you think they would be. It's so it's kind of bizarre. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Understood. These and I, I rewatched Fargo, one of your favorites. Oh. And, but I, 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 I think mean, I. I did it because we had this huge, huge snowstorm in Fargo. And I told my wife, I'm like, I feel like we're driving through Fargo right now. So I watched the movie and I feel like there's certain movies that depending on the weather, you have to, they hit differently depending on the weather outside. There's some movies that I will only watch in the summer and some I only watch in winter and Fargo is a winter movie for me. Totally. You know what? Is it, it might be my favorite movie ever. I know it's like, I would really have to think about that, but that's how much I like it. It's, it's, it's in consideration for my. Favorite I know Frances McDormand won the. She won the Oscar, right? But William H Macy. William is H Macy. Just, he's amazing. It. He's yeah. so amazing yeah. in that movie. But yes, that 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 was a weather movie for me. That's all I got. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, one one other thing that kills the flower moon. So Brendan Fraser made a cameo. Oh okay. You just ruined so, it for me. No, that's, no, I did it. So Tom Wamsgans or whatever, how the hell you pronounce his name? That's he's British. Brendan Fraser. I don't know if we ever said that. No, I could see that though. Yeah, but could you see him doing a movie like The Mummy? Yeah, it's Brendan Fraser. Now, you, you could see Tom doing a, The Mummy? Sure, why not? I just poke close to that. Yeah, theory. use your imagination. All right, he's 60% of Brendan Fraser. All right, Animal Spirit. Oh, I forgot to open up the show. We got so many fantastic uh, tax people reaching out to us. So. Really, really excited about the outreach. Who needs LinkedIn when you have animal spirits? What's that? Who needs LinkedIn when you have animal spirits? There you go. Animal spirits at the compoundnews.com. Personal emails, personal responses. Keep them coming. We'll see you next time.